Now we're going to get into God's Word, finally. There was a lot of announcements, but we have been... Last week we started a brand new series called, uh, basically, ex, uh, uh, I need to slow down. I've been going, trying to get through our announcements too quick. Echoes from Exodus. And we are going to be looking for the next couple of weeks at some, some stories in Exodus that I believe are very relevant for today. Uh, I love the book of Exodus. I talked about this last week. I, I think my love for Exodus really began when I was a kid and we, we used to watch the Ten Commandments on TV. You know, and we'd see the plagues and we'd see the, the, the sea open and Charlton Heston with a big burly beard and staff and all that sort of stuff was going on. But there's so many amazing stories in Exodus. There's so many... A, a, amazing things. And like we talked about last week, Genesis is the beginning. Genesis was the start of so many different things. But Exodus really is the beginning in some ways of God's rescue plan for humanity. It became this, there there are so many things that we can see in Exodus and see in Jesus and see in, in bondage and freedom and all these things. And so I'm really excited to be able to look at Exodus and share these things with you. This morning we're actually going to be in Exodus 1, 8 through 16. So we're going to throw that up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus 1 or your phones or whatever you got. But we're going to look and we're going to be in Exodus 1, 6 through 16, and then we'll pray. In the time, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. Last week we talked about how the Israelites even got there. Why, who is Joseph and what happened to bring them to this place? But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now number us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands." Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shiphrah and Puam. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the, boy is, if the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Father, I come to you right now, and God, I acknowledge my weakness. I cannot do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. God, without you, my words don't do anything. They don't change lives. They don't minister to people. But Father, when you speak through me, when I cease speaking and you begin speaking, everything changes. And that's what we need in this church. That's what we need in our lives. That's what we need in in all of these areas. And so God, I pray that you would just control my mouth, that you would literally speak through me in this moment, that you would open our hearts to you in all that you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now some of you right now are going, okay, Aaron, now wait a minute, slow down just one second. This is the same exact passage of scripture you used last week. 
And for those that, that are paying attention, yes, I, I, am, I am using the exact same portion of Scripture. I don't believe I've ever done this before. And this is not one of those, hey, you didn't get it last week, so we're going to do it all over again stuff. We're actually going to use the same portion of Scripture, but we're going to take it in a completely different direction. I really think that this is one of those instances where we can really see how awesome God's word is as we, as we just simply turn the diamond, as it were, just so slightly to see other colors pipe, pop, and come through. And this is one of those instances. So, so last week when we talked about something different with the same scripture, we're just going to do something a little different this week because I think it's very important that we catch this. I think this is one of those messages that if we can grab and hold on to from now until Jesus takes us home it can literally change how we see our world how we handle relationships how we deal with situations this is a big one and i think we need to get it so let's kind of dive in this together we just again looked at exodus 1 8 through 16 and this is in your notes if you have those grab them we're going to go through these together but here's what i want to first look at and talk about i want to talk about pharaoh's greatest fear Pharaoh's greatest fear. We've talked a lot in our culture, in our time around this, this 18 months about fear. And here we have literally the most powerful man in the world, and he's scared. He's scared. He's bothered. He sees something he doesn't like, and he begins to act on it. As we looked at what we saw as far as our scripture this morning, what does it say? It says basically Pharaoh's looking, and he's seeing, and he's, he's not... He's not liking what he's seeing. He's seeing this, this group of people multiply and become strong. And he's going, oh my goodness, we got an issue here. We got to deal with something here. Here it is, the most powerful man on the planet. And he's going, oh man, there's something I'm concerned about. There's something that can affect my power and can affect my livelihood and how I'm ruling and how I'm dealing with all these things. This is in your notes and this is important. Look at this. Pharaoh's greatest fear was the truth that if the Israelites realized who they really were and what they were capable of together, he would lose. Did you catch that in what the verses showed with us? What was he saying? He's like, man, these, these Israelites are getting larger. They're outnumbering us. They're powerful. They're strong. I've got to do something about it. I've got to stop them now before they realize who they are. Listen, you've got to remember who they are. They're God's chosen people. God said, I will be with you. I will walk with you as I walked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have God's promises on their side. They have God's blessing on their side. No matter what Pharaoh seems to do, it doesn't seem to matter. He goes, oh, I'll make them slaves. And they just get stronger and stronger. He's like, I'll bring oppression. I'll bring slave masters over them and taskmasters to deal with them. And what's it say? It says they just continue to bless and bless and bless. Listen, you need to understand something. There's a big difference between what you can do in your life and what God wants to do through you in your life. And here's what we need to understand. God can always do more than what you can do on your own. Your situations and circumstances do not affect God's promises on your life. God said, I'll bless you. God said to Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And it just kept coming. It kept coming. And you know what? This guy got more and more afraid and more and more concerned. This isn't good. And so what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh begins to do some very, take some very, very interesting steps. 
in our verse this morning, in our verses, he begins to look at some things. And he begins to manipulate. He begins to lie. He begins a plan to basically take God's people, God's free people, and begin to put them in bondage. He was scared. And so he begins to lie. He begins to control. He begins to manipulate. But listen, you've got to understand this. When we're looking at this this morning, one of the reasons why Exodus is so relevant to our world today is in a lot of ways, Pharaoh and Satan work the exact same way. Okay, let me give you a little clue about our enemy. Are you ready? He's not really creative. God is creative, okay? If you need, if you need help in that, my son will show you some amazing butterflies and some amazing insects that some of you, but the complexity of them are incredible. The beauty of them are incredible. Our God is a God that creates amazing, beautiful things. Trust me, the mountains will be there when the smoke goes away and we'll remember all those things he made. But the enemy is not. The enemy tends to find a plan and continue to do it over and over and over again. Now, part of that is because he's not very creative. And part of that, can we just be honest with ourselves, we're not really smart. We tend to fall for the same plan over and over again. But in this situation, folks, listen, hear me here. The plan that Pharaoh uses is the exact plan that the enemy uses in us to keep us captive. To keep us from doing things that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But it's so important that you understand that. Look, this is in your notes. I wanted you to catch this. So Pharaoh's power over the Israelites was based on a lie. It was based on a lie. Just like Satan's power over us is based on a lie. You say, Aaron, what was the lie? What was the lie? It's real simple. Pharaoh admits the lie in our verses. He says they're more powerful than we are. They're more numerous than we are. We've got to do something. The power that the lie was, was that basically they were weak, powerless, and under the control of a pharaoh. What's Satan do to us? He convinces us that we are weak and powerless in his kingdom. When that's just not true. Listen, hear me here. Lots of times in our lives, we go through things and we deal with issues because we believe the lie of the enemy. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what we are. And because of that, we have issues. Listen, I could have used lots of verses. I like John 1 John 4, 4. Listen what it says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's greater. Because of what Jesus has done in us, we are greater than the enemy that we face. Okay, let me help you with this. Okay, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics. Okay, and I, I, my wife loves the Olympics. She loves the Olympics, and I, I, I like them too, and we watch all these things. But one of the things I really enjoy watching for some strange reason is the swimming. You like the swimming? Maybe because it's, it's just, I'm, I'm not a good swimmer, 
And so I just have this appreciation for swimmers. And so they jump in and, and you know, it's hard to tell, you know, but you just, you just kind of, they look different than me. You realize that? That's not funny to laugh at that, okay? But they look different than me. Okay, that, that's rude, okay? Really. I was not talking about muscle mass. I was talking about height, which that's still not really good. Anyway. But, but, you know, I mean, I remember hearing something, and maybe this is wrong, please don't quote me on this, but like when Michael Phelps was swimming, they were like, oh, well, his ankles are double-jointed, and, and, he, can, and he can do this, and he, his, his shoulder blades can pop out of socket, and, and, and he can hold his breath for three days, or whatever it might be, you know? And he's different than me. He is built different than me. He looks different than me. And it's like if we said, okay, folks, here's what's going to happen after church. Michael Phelps is here with us. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, everybody, welcome, Michael Phelps. And after church, we're going down to the, the swimming hole. I'm sorry, I'm from the Midwest. We're going to the swimming pool. And we're going to have a race. And I am going to race Michael Phelps. How many of you think, and please don't lie just to be cute. How many of you think I can beat Michael Phelps? No. Thank you, son. Okay. <laughs> now, why? Now, wait a minute. I, I am fairly athletic. I have two arms and two legs, and two, just like he does. Why do you not think I am capable of doing that? It's simple. He's bigger than me. He's stronger than me. He's more trained than me. He was literally, check this out. It's almost like he was created to swim. Guess what I'm created for? Not swimming. And yet, in our spiritual walk, this scripture literally tells us we're from God, we are overcomers, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Sometimes spiritually, hear me, we literally look at the enemy and we go, oh yeah, he, he's, he can beat us down. No, he cannot. Here's how he can when we believe the lies. When we believe the lies. When we think that Pharaoh, listen, is stronger than God's promises, God's people, and God's destiny for us. We can't do it. So listen, since we know now that Pharaoh's plan and the enemy's plan is very similar, let's, let's expose the plan that Pharaoh used to keep the Israelites in captivity. Let's look at that. And here's why. Look at 2 Corinthians 2. This is a great verse. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, this is what it says. Paul's writing here. He says, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. So look at verse 11. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. We need to be familiar with the schemes of the enemy. We need to understand the plans of the enemy. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three steps that I believe Pharaoh took the Israelites through and that the enemy also takes us through to keep us in bondage and keep us from some other things that I believe God wants us to do. So number one, the first step of his plan is deception. It's deception. Look at Exodus 1.9. What's it say? In Exodus 1.9, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. He admits it. He says, we have some issues here. So what does he convince the people of Israel they are? That they're weaker, they're not as strong 
And that's why they have to follow the rules of the enemy. Deception always begins. Listen, you look back at the very beginning in Genesis. What made all this mess come to happen in the first place? Simple. It starts with deception. Did God really say? Did God really say? And that deception comes. Look, the definition of deception, you need to hear this, is the act of hiding the truth, especially to gain an advantage. He was afraid. He said, Pharaoh, listen, if they realize who they are, if they really realize the power that they have, if they came together, we would be in trouble. So he begins to deceive them. He begins to deceive them. He begins to say, oh man, we can't let this out. We can't let this little secret come out. Because if they realized it, they would join with our enemies and defeat us. You see, one of the things we have to understand, and you've got to get this, the enemy, listen, is already a defeated foe, folks. He's already lost. The game is over for him. Listen, I understand that there's still, like, there's still time on the clock, but the game's over. He has lost. Now, he's going to keep fighting, and he's going to keep working, and he's going to keep trying, but the game is done. But when we are deceived by him to think that we're not more than conquerors, to think that we are not who God says we are, which is we have the authority of Christ, then that deception begins to take place. And the enemy begins to speak certain things to us. And we begin, unfortunately, to believe them. We believe things like, you know, nobody really cares about you. You know, I bet that person, you know, you know when, they, when they didn't say hi to you at church, oh, yeah, yeah, they hate you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, your wife, you know, she, she didn't do whatever. And so, you know, maybe she doesn't love you as much as she once did. You see the deceptions? You see what happens? And we begin to hear that. Now hear me here and listen to me. Understand this point. Being attacked by the enemy is something we all deal with. Rejecting the deception of the enemy is what we need. Unfortunately, excuse me, we don't at times. And when we don't, the enemy and Pharaoh moves to the next step. Can I, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me understand something here. At this point in our story with the Israelites... They have the control. They have the power. They could do several things. One, they could just go back to Canaan. They could say, we're out. We don't like what's going on. We're leaving. They, if they were what Pharaoh assumed, which we know it, it was the case, they were stronger. They could have said, no, we're not going to allow this to take place. We're going to bang together and we're going to say no. But they didn't. And because they didn't, we're moving on to the second step of his plan, which is domination. Domination. Look at Exodus 1, 11, and then we're going to jump to 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. Now remember, they're more powerful than the Egyptians. They're more numerous than the Egyptians. But yet, the Egyptians made them their slaves. How? Simple. They believed the lie. They believed the lie. 
They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. Now let's jump to 13 and 14. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Now hear me here. This is important you catch this. This is the turning point. This is the turning point, folks. And we got to understand this. Okay? This is the moment where when we fall prey to this one, everything changes. What was this act of domination really about? What was it trying to accomplish? It's really, really simple. The, the, Israel, or the, the Egyptians basically, what does Pharaoh do? He puts taskmasters over them. He makes their lives hard and miserable. He brings forth bad times, bad moments, bad situations. And here's unfortunately what tends to happen when that happens. When things get hard and things get difficult, when the attacks come, the oppression comes, those things come, we typically, naturally do this. Instead of focusing on others and outside, we tend to focus inward. We tend to talk about my hurt and my pain and my situation and my, the things I'm dealing with. Pain tends to do that. We just finished a whole series about being tougher than nails and with, the, with the hope that we would understand throughout that series, hard times are going to come. Difficult moments are going to come and we have a choice in that moment. We can either become more like Jesus or become less like Jesus. You realize when Jesus faced hard times, Jesus didn't let himself turn inwardly. He literally turned outwardly and was willing to die on a cross for you and me. That is the level of self-sacrifice that Jesus had. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and find a cross to die on. But what I am saying is, listen, if you allow those moments to turn everything to you, your hurt, your pain, your preferences, your opinions, your, yours, yours, you're being dominated by the enemy. And most of the time, you don't even realize that. You don't even see it because, oh, well, you realize what happened to me. Now, listen here, hear me. I've said this 45,000 times, and I'll say it 45,000 more. I'm not belittling your pain. I'm not. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that you come to me and share where you're at, that we're not going to sit in my office and cry our eyes out. But here's what we can't allow to do. We can't allow it in that moment to become about us. Because there's so much greater things we need to do. Listen, listen, it's in your notes. Turn the page if you're not there. He piled on the pain, he being Pharaoh, he being the enemy, to keep their focus on themselves instead of the truth of the bigger picture. You say, Aaron, what was the bigger picture in this story? It's simple. The bigger picture was this. If they would bind together and realize who they were and grab a hold of God's promises, they could have said, we're done being slaves. We're done being walked all over. We have the authority. We're God's people. You're not. God has made promises to us, and God's promises are yes and amen, and we're done. We're done. But they didn't. Why? I think it was because they turned it all on themselves. There are other portions of scripture in, 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 in uh, Exodus where you see that. Where they say, but, but this or that. And it, th we had this. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And I don't want don't to ruin messages later on. But hear me here. This is a big one. 
This is a big one. When you turn it on yourself, when you turn it towards you, there's issues. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the third one, after domination, after deception, the third step of his plan is destruction. Destruction. Look at Exodus 1, 16. Look at this with me. Is it up there? There we go. Thank you. When you help, this is Pharaoh speaking. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Scripture tells us the enemy, and we've talked about this, you've heard it before, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. You see, after deception, after domination, the third step in his plan is always destruction. Listen to, listen. Now, I know sometimes we've heard these before, but, and we may know this, but let's, let's look at this together a little deeper. You realize what Pharaoh's doing. He's killing the bloodline. Okay? I know we all understand this, but without boys that grow up into men with girls, we don't have any more boys or girls. He's trying to destroy them. He is literally trying to commit genocide against God's people. Destruction. Listen, the enemy, hear me here, and I don't, I don't say this to scare you, that's silly. The enemy will not stop until you have destruction in your life. That's what he wants. That's what, he's, he's not, listen, he's not here to play patty cake with you. He wants you destroyed. Hear me. So why, did, why is this so important? Why, why, what, what does this mean? What was Pharaoh really trying to accomplish? What is Satan really trying to accomplish? What was the ultimate goal of this deception, denomination, and finally destruction? It's simple. Look here. It's in your notes. The ultimate goal in all of this is to stop the production of fruit in our lives. Now, in Pharaoh's case, it was the fruit of offspring. In Satan's desire, it's to literally destroy the fruit of our spiritual being. Those things that we're supposed to bring forth. Those things that come naturally. He wants to destroy them. Because here's the thing. Listen, some of us, and this is awesome. Some of us are living for God. And we're, we're going after God. And, and all these things. And he's, he's kind of, in some ways, kind of given up the plan of going, listen, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to convince this person that God isn't real. I don't think I'm going to be able to convince this person that Jesus didn't love him and care for him. But you know what I can do? I can cut off the line. I can cut off the fruit. I can, I can make their lives believe the lie, and then I can dominate them with them, and then eventually I can absolutely destroy them from the inside out, and the fruit will be gone. The produce will be gone. The production, the multiplication will be gone. Hear me here. One of the things I truly believe is de- we're dealing with as a church in America is we have allowed this plan of the enemy to infiltrate us so poor and so, so well that we've allowed ourselves to, yeah, we're going to heaven, but nobody's coming with us because the fruit has ceased. It stopped because we believed the lie. We believed the lie. Really quickly, let me kind of tell you, let me give you a, a, for instance, how this typically can happen. I want to give you a specific. Now, listen, it can happen in many, many different ways. And I'm going to try to stay con- con- consistent with the story, but I may jump around a little bit because this can happen to a man or a woman. Okay? 
So if I jump around, just know what I'm talking about. Maybe there's a, a, a mother and a father and they have a couple of kids and they're, they're involved in their church and they're, they're loving Jesus and they're, 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 they're being fruitful and they're, they're giving of their time and their treasures and all those things. I mean, and, and they're seeing fruit in their family and they're seeing fruit in their lives and they're seeing fruit in their community and their church and they're, they're doing all these things. And, and Monday morning, the, 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 the wife goes to work and, and some coworker says something to her. Boy, don't, don't you look nice today. She kind of, oh, nothing of major. And then a couple days later, boy, you, you look nice today. And the enemy begins to sow that deception. You know, your husband doesn't look at you like that anymore. You know, you deserve to be cared for like he might care for you. You know, the grass may be greener on the other side. And she begins to, to wrestle with these things. But typically what happens, hear me here, typically what happens, hopefully what happens, is she turns to God and God helps her. But here's what she does typically as well. She'll have these types of thoughts. I cannot do that because, number one, it's wrong. But number two, because I love my husband and I love my kids and I don't want to do that to them. Okay? Hear me? But then it continues. And she she begins to open up a little bit more. She believes the lie that says, you know what? I deserve to be treated better. You know what? I, I bet I would be happier. And the domination begins. And what has she done in that step? It's real simple. She's basically said, God, I care more about me than I do what you have said. I care more about me than what was going to happen to my husband or to my kids or to my family. Why? Because I want this. I need this. I deserve this. And then finally, she acts out. The affair takes place. And her marriage is destroyed. Her relationship with God for the time, not saying that these things couldn't be restored, hear me here, but in that moment is destroyed relationship with her kids is destroyed and I've seen it time and time and time again they're sitting there with a pile of destruction and the enemy goes who's next listen hear me here I'm listen I, I'm trying to be a, a trying to be a a warning. Anytime your focus is on yourself and what you want, you are in a dangerous spot. Okay? I'm not saying you can say, keep somebody from saying something, but, but when, when, when you start to let the domination take place and it becomes about you and what you want and what you need and what you deserve you are in a very dangerous place. And I would not love you, and I would not be worthy of this calling if I did not share with you the danger that I see. The Israelites, because of this, were in bondage for literally hundreds of years. 
because they believed the lie. If they, listen, hear me here. What would have happened if someone would have said, you know, it's not about my pain anymore. It's not about my hurt anymore. It's not about these taskmasters anymore. We have promises. We are God's people. We are chosen. God has promises for us. So you know what? It doesn't matter the pain. God's promises are still true. And they began to gather people around them of like-mindedness. And they started saying, no, we're going to encourage each other. We're going to do this. God is going to bring us back. We have a, a man named Joseph who God used. And he said in Genesis, he said, when you leave this land, take my bones with you. What was he doing? He was prophesying about God's promises that were coming. And if they said, you know what? It's time to grab the bones. It's time to move forward. It's time to experience the freedom that God's promised us. We don't have to listen to the lies anymore. We don't have to listen to the nonsense anymore. Instead, we can listen to the promises that God has told us that we are overcomers, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and that we don't have to anymore live under the bondage of the enemy who has been defeated. At that point, and in that moment, things could have changed. But it was hard. Because it was a moment where instead of looking to God and what he can do, it became about themselves and what they needed and what they desired. And it was destruction that was always, listen, it's always the result. So listen. As we kind of bring this to a close, as, as putting this together over the last couple of weeks, I, I was like, man, this is kind of be heavy a little bit, and, 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 and I want to I look at this together, because I, I want this to be encouraging, because it is encouraging, it should be encouraging, but I also want to be realistic. So what do you do if you've already experienced step three? Listen, there is no one in this room that is above this thing. I'm not, you're not. Listen, hear me here. And I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure great grandma who, who prayed every day and, and is in heaven and Jesus sometimes goes to her and says, hey, what do you think we should do? Even great grandma struggled, okay, with these lies, okay? We all can go there. Now listen, sometimes the level of destruction is different, but destruction is still there. You say, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't, didn't have, not having the issue with the marriage and, and so on and so forth. But you know what I've seen so many times again is in churches, this ploy takes place and brings destruction. Well, you know, the pastor didn't do something that I think he should have done. This, this person who I thought was my friend, they didn't, they didn't do something I, I think should be done. And what's the enemy do? Oh, oh, they don't like you. They're out to get you. And you begin to believe that lie. Like, like, like basically you, you believe, and I've said this before, but it's just so true. It's like you believe this thought, like they woke up that, that morning, rubbed their hands together, laughed diabolically and said, how can I ruin Jason's life today? No. Here's probably what happened. They were thinking about something else and they walked by and didn't say hello. Now, should they have said hello? Well, sure. We, we, wouldn't that be great if we were all perfect? But we're not. And the enemy sows that deception. And he, then he says, you know, probably others don't like you either. You know, and then there's control. And then you have words and there's destruction. Listen, listen, hear me here. Churches have split up for less. 
And it has robbed us, hear me, it has robbed us as a country, as a family, as a church of our fruitfulness. But what do you do if you're already there? What if you already are sitting there this morning and you're saying, Aaron, it's destroyed. It's broken. First of all, my heart goes out to you because I've been there too. I've been there with just destruction. Not God didn't do it to me. I did it to me. I believe the lies. But hear me here. You've got to understand this. Just because you may have lost a battle doesn't mean that you've lost the war. Just because there's been some destruction doesn't mean that God can't put it back together again. Doesn't mean that God isn't powerful enough. Listen, listen, hear me. God speaks to dead things and they come back alive again. He can handle whatever you got. It doesn't matter how much destruction there is. It doesn't matter how much hurt there is. God can bring it back and God can bring it together. He has that power and that authority. But hear me here. There are consequences to our actions. But sometimes we need to understand, hey, you know what? Just because it happened doesn't mean God can't restore. Doesn't mean that God can't bring forth something beautiful. I love the verse, and you've heard it before, where basically Joseph says this, what you meant for evil, God can use for good. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how destroyed it is. God can bring it. Look at Colossians 2. In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, this is what it says, hear me here. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all of our sins, all of our mess-ups, all of that destruction that we had. He made it us come alive again. He canceled the record of the... Is there the next one up there? That's right. He, uh, of the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Listen here. We've talked about this. This is Pharaoh. This is the enemy. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What's that mean? Simple. You may have lost the battle, but God's won the war. You may have lost the battle, but God's got you. You may have said, you know what, Aaron, my life is apart. It's a mess. I, I'm dealing with all these things. But you know what? God's still looking at you going, if you'll just give it to me, I can put all the pieces back together again. And here's what God does in his goodness. God takes all the pieces when we hand it to him. God doesn't just put them all back together. God gives them more. God gives us pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Not just what we had but more than we've ever had. Why? Because he has the authority now. He has the authority now. Look at Luke 10. Luke 10, 19a. This is Jesus literally speaking to his disciples and us today. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You don't have to believe the lie. 
You don't have to let deception rule your life. You don't have to let domination rule your life. You don't have to let destruction rule your life. Why? Because you have the authority by Jesus. It's been given to you and me over the enemy and over all of his schemes. How do we have a problem with this? We believe the lie. We believe the lie. We forget who we are. Can I just be honest with you as John comes up? I was going to say the worship team, but they're all in Sturgis. Almost all of them. Excuse me, not all of them, almost all of them. You know, we're talking about the schemes of the enemy. And one of the, another one of the great ones is to get you to forget who you are. The enemy wants you to have an identity crisis. Because again, when you realize who you are in Christ, you don't have to be afraid. You can't have peace. You can't have that anchor that holds. But when we forgot who we are, when we forgot that we are a son and daughter of Jesus, of, of God, in that moment, we're ripe for deception, domination, and destruction. When God says, you have all authority, you have the ability to look at the enemy and say, I'm not going to believe the lie. But hear me here. This isn't something that just magically happens. It has to be intentional. So when the enemy comes and says to you, hey, you know, they didn't say hi to you. They probably don't like you. You say, you know what, enemy? Get out. I'm not going to listen to your nonsense. Heaven forbid someone didn't talk to me. Well, you know what? Maybe I'm going to go talk to them. Maybe I'm going to be a friend instead of demanding everyone be mine. Maybe I'm going to do things a little different now. Maybe instead of being so self-absorbed, I'm going to be more others-absorbed. Maybe I'm going to go, you know what, how can I serve? How can I minister? How can I encourage? How can I be there for somebody? How can I send that text that just says, you know what, I'm thinking about you. I love you and I'm praying for you. You know what I found in the church and in Christians and just in humanity as a whole? When we're others-focused, we have a really, really hard time being sinner-focused. Because we realize, you know what? It's not about me. And then we start to care for each other, and encourage each other, and pray for each other, and are there for each other. And we put our arms around each other, and we realize we do have some strength. You know what? It is, it is greater that's in us than it's in the world. You know what? I don't have to worry about that, that, that doctor's report. Because you know what? I saw how, how God healed that person. And they told me and they ministered to me. And, and I know that God can heal me too. They said, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. This world, this, the whole, this works best in community. And the best way to destroy it is to make the community all about you. And the Israelites did that, and they remained in bondage much longer than they needed to. 
So here's what we're going to do. Can you just do me a favor, just so there's some focus here? Let's just close our eyes. Let's just focus. Let, let, let the Spirit just kind of have our attention. Okay? I, I want to talk just real briefly about a couple things. Number one, if you're saying, Aaron, that's me. Uh, my, my life, my world is a pile of destruction. You need to hear me. You need to understand what God's promises are. God's promises are, I'll take that destruction and I'll make all things new. I'll take what's dead and I'll make it alive. Now, that does not mean that necessarily the things you want to be restored will be restored. What that is doing and what you're doing in that moment is you're saying, God, I want you to restore in me and in my relationships and whatever else is destroyed what you want restored. Because I know and I trust you can put it together better than I can. Sometimes we get into trouble because we demand that God restore what we want instead of allowing him to restore what needs to truly be restored. So open up your heart if you're in that place and say, you know what, God? I know you can restore. I know that, that although the battle in this area may have been lost, I know that you have won the war and that I am victorious and that I am more than a conqueror through you. And so, Father, I give you this thing and I say put it back together in your way and in your timing. Take what the enemy has stolen and bring back tenfold because that's what you do. And for some of us, we're just, it's just become all about us. Maybe, maybe, maybe something has happened negative. Maybe it's just this world and all the things, you know. We have such a culture that's just so centered on themselves. And we maybe allowed that to seep into our hearts and into our lives. And we just need to go to God right now and go, God, it is not about me anymore. It's about you. I'm not going to fall prey to these deceptions. I'm not going to fall prey to this domination and this destruction. I'm going to cut it now. I'm going to nip it now. I'm going to stop it now. And the way I'm going to do that is by looking to others and serving them by looking to you first and foremost and serving you knowing that when I'm doing those things it becomes very difficult to be overly concerned with my opinions or what I think I need God you know what I need and I trust that so Father we come to you right now and God, whether it's the first or the second or something that this, this God that you're bringing into people's hearts that, that, that you're doing that I don't even know about, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, you do it. Father, right now, I pray that things would cease in the name of Jesus. A lot of times we pray for things to happen. Right now, I'm praying for things to cease and to stop in the name of Jesus. I pray that, that selfishness would stop. I, I pray that shame would stop. I pray that self-loathing would stop. I pray that self uh, believing the lies would stop. I pray that destruction would stop. We have authority in the name of Jesus and we command you enemy to stop right now. But also Father, we ask that you help us to begin. That you help us to begin to pray more, to seek you more, to serve you more, to serve others more, to make it all about others and you, not about us, and not to believe the lies of the enemy again.
because the enemy will come again and the enemy will come again and, the, and God, I pray for just strength in this moment. God, you're so good. You love us so much. We thank you for this moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Listen, here's what we're going to do. I just feel like, you know, there's some people that are really calling out to God in this moment, really going after him. So we're just going to stay here and just, a, John's going to come and, and lead us in a, in a closing chorus. And listen, feel free to stand if you want. You may remain seated. Whatever you need to do, you don't need to sing. If you're praying, just, just seek God. We're going to do a quick closing chorus and then I'll come back and I'll close, okay? Thank you, Jesus. So good. Rescue us again, God. Save us again. Work in us again. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Call out to Him. He'll put it back together. Thank you, Jesus. It's good. So good.
Jesus you conquered it <laughs> that's so good you conquered the grave you, you, didn't, you didn't just conquer sickness you didn't just conquer financial issues you, you, you didn't just conquer relational spats and pro you literally conquered death <laughs> You literally were like, hey, what's, what, enemy, what's the greatest thing you got? What's, what's the greatest thing you got? Death? Got it. Bring it. Bring it. And he didn't just conquer it. He defeated it and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave with him. He's like, really? You want to you wanna go? Man, I love my Jesus. Man, I love my Jesus. He's incredible. I love that Jesus, like, like, really, right here, you, you got it right here? <laughs> I got it. I got you. And so, Father, this morning, we celebrate our victory. We celebrate our freedom. Listen, when, when the Israelites left, we'll get to it. When the Israelites left Egypt, they celebrated. And you know what they celebrated? They celebrated earthly freedom. They celebrated no more taskmasters, and they celebrated a, a possibly going to an earthly promised land. I think I can celebrate a little bit greater about my freedom and what Jesus has done for me and you. You know what? And so, Father, we celebrate you. We celebrate, we don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy. We celebrate that it is, it is so true that you are in us and you are greater than he that is in the world. That we are more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. So we celebrate our victory over the enemy, over the lies of the enemy, over the kingdom of the enemy, not over people. It's not about over people. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against the enemy and we have won. We may lose a battle here or there, but we've won the war and we celebrate it. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this time and this moment. We ask now that you will go with us in victory into our world and that in our world we will be salt and light and bearers of good news to celebrate that no one has to remain under the bondage of a Pharaoh or an enemy ever again, that we can walk in the freedom that we have in Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, have a wonderful week. Listen, I know some of you are new and I haven't had a chance to talk to you. I know you may need to run, but if you have some time, I'd love to say hi and get to know you a little bit better. But if not, maybe we'll catch you another time. Have a wonderful week. Love you all so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jesus.